and how it's being, uh, how it's producing fruit. And Lord, we thank you for Jim and for the others that are here, um, their, their ministry, Lord, and the ministry of Gideon around the world. And we pray, Lord, as these uh, men and women continue to strive to put the Word of God into places where people can reach it and read it, I pray, God, that you would continue to supply for the, the needs that they have and for the ministry of Gideon. And we thank you for their faithfulness to you. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> One of the things I love about summer... Uh, there are a lot of things I love about summer. Um, one of the things I love about summer is uh, the fact that we can have so much fruit available to us. And I do believe sometimes that Citrus Sam really should give us a big thank you card at the end of every summer season because we really keep that man in business. And so we spend a good chunk of our time, or I shouldn't say it like that, but we often, you know, Maria comes home and she's bought all kinds of fruit, and fresh fruit, you know, and you're excited because, you know, it hasn't come, you know, sitting somewhere in coolers for quite a while. Something about fresh fruit. Vegetables? Mm, not so much. But, you know, it's fruit. And I wonder sometimes if also because the, the word fruit in itself, it means something good to us. It, it's, it sounds good. It's healthy. It's a, it implies so many positive things. For example, fruit implies growth. When we talk about, you know, oh, there was so much fruit this year, or there was, you know, the, the crop had a really good fruit, or there's, a, you know, those things. It implies that there was growth. Something happened. There was a result, you know. And then also there was reproduction, because, you know, the, the, somebody planted a seed and the tree grew and then there was fruit and there's reproduction. It also implies replica. An apple tree is going to have apples. Orange tree is going to have oranges. And they're not going to find apples on orange trees and things like that. And so there's this replica of what is. And now there's the fruit of it. And so I love fruit and I love the, the illustration of fruit. And Jesus uses this word, fruit, and to talk to his disciples about some things that they need to be very um, aware of. I want to invite you to turn to your Bibles and the passage that's on the screen there for us. In Matthew chapter 7, 15 to 27. And before we get into the, that text, you need to know Jesus is up on this mountainside with his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 5, he starts what we often refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. My mind was always made up that Jesus was preaching here to thousands of people. But if you go to Matthew chapter 5, it says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to them, and he began to teach them. Began teaching them. And he starts off with the Beatitudes. Now you may say, well, what's the big deal of that? I, I think I find it significant that these instructions that Jesus gives his disciples... And the Sermon on the Mount are made or are given to people who are already committed to being His followers. These are people who have already said, I want to follow you. I want to do the things that you do. And in the Beatitudes, we could say, Jesus is basically saying, if you want to have the good life, here are some things you need to have. You need to be pure. You need to mourn. You need to, you know, um, all those different things, be persecuted and things like that. That Jesus is saying, you will need these things to have a good life. And he continues on with that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He has taught his disciples many new things. He's also taught them about some changes that they're going to need to make. He's taught them things like, and he said things like this to them. You have heard that it was said. And then he would go on to what some of these things that were that they have heard you know, from their law, from the law of Moses. 
<coughs> he says, you've heard that it said, do not commit adultery, or an eye for an eye, or love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And then he would always say this, but I tell you. And then he would talk about the new commands, the new instructions. And every time he gave something new to his disciples, in a sense what Jesus was doing, he was ramping up the moral standard for living. Now please know that he was not simply now making life more difficult to being a follower of Jesus. He wasn't simply adding more things, more barriers, more things to get over, more loopholes. Jesus was teaching his disciples, this is what it takes to have the good life. This is what it means to have the good life. And if you add these things into your life, it will be better for you. You will be free of guilt. You will have joy. You will have peace. And on and on. Jesus taught His disciples many things. Things like love. He taught them about being light and salt. He taught them about compassion. He taught them the prayer. And He taught them how to pray. He taught them about treasures. And where your heart is, there your treasures will be also. He taught them about how not to worry. And He said if the lilies of the field are being taken care of, and if the the birds of the air are being taken care of by God, then clearly our needs will also be taken care of. He taught them about not judging. He taught them about if you see someone with a little speck in their own eye, in their eye, how are you going to take it out if you have a big plank in your eye? And so He talked to them about judging people. He taught them about... God's promises that if we seek Him and if we knock and we will you know, search for God, that we will also find God. And now He's wrapping up His talk with His disciples. It's near the end of chapter 7 and He's given them all these new teachings and now He's wrapping up His talk with this warning. And I would say with a very stern warning. It's a warning about being misled. He's speaking here to his, his followers. He's speaking here to people who have said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And now he's wrapping up this sermon to them about being misled. Verse 15 of your Bibles in chapter 7. He says this, Watch out for false prophets. Watch out for false prophets. We don't know whether these prophets were somehow linked to a particular party within the early church. Usually they are identified as what we call antinomians, which are these group of people who believe that there should be no such thing as laws. They would say, you know, we can follow God, but we don't need any laws. We are under grace, or we are just, all we got to do is do our best. We need to follow God. We don't need laws. We don't know a lot about these prophets that Jesus is talking about. But we know that they pose a threat to hearing and doing Jesus' words. They pose a threat to the message that His followers are supposed to apply to their lives. The rest of that verse, He says, They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So these men, these prophets, these people, they will come and they will appear good. They will appear innocent. Innocent. But inwardly, they want to destroy. Then Jesus in verse 16, He says, this is how you can recognize them. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. What He's saying here is, what they produce... 
or the results of their labor is going to give them away. The fruit that these prophets produce is what's going to give them away. And then Jesus goes on and He makes this statement that, that almost sounds sarcastic in, in what He says. He says, do, pick, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or, from fig, or, for, or figs from thistles? Now the obvious answer is no. And Jesus is like saying, would you go to a sick place to find something healthy? Would you go to the sugar bowl to find something sour? Would you go to, you know... Where there's this to find this one is the exact opposite. Jesus is saying you wouldn't go to find good fruit among something that is bad. It sounds to me like Jesus is packing two warnings or two punches into one here. First, He is warning His disciples, watch out for these false prophets. And secondly, don't be too quick to follow someone unless it has been tested and proven to be of the Word of God, to be of truth. I think that sometimes we can hear things and we're like, that's amazing, that, that sounds, wow, that was presented so well, or that, list, that sounded so good. And we need to remember Jesus is saying, watch out for false prophets. Take time to examine what they are teaching to make sure it aligns itself with Scripture, with truth. Jesus then goes in, in verse 17 and He makes one of probably the most obvious statements you will ever find in the whole Bible. And He says this, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. I'm guessing His disciples kind of gave each other a nudge and said, Wow, I'm, I'm glad he got that. You know, I'm glad he could figure that out. A, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Um, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Sounds like a no-brainer. But what a loaded, what a loaded statement. With that statement, we have to ask ourselves this question. What kind of fruit am I producing? And whatever fruit I am producing then also makes us ask the question, what kind of tree am I? Because if a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, and a good tree cannot produce <clears throat> bad fruit, the question is, what is my fruit? Which also probably says what kind of tree we are. Maybe we need to use a little bit more churchy kind of language. All this fruit talk and trees and you're looking at me going, man, is the heat getting to you or what, you know? So let's use something that we maybe understand a little bit better. We could say Jesus is saying this. You can't say that you are a Christian and live like a non-Christian. You can't be a non-Christian and pretend to be a Christian. Our fruit... Or maybe a better word for fruit, we could say our lifestyle, our actions, our behavior is going to give us away. I believe that if we say we are followers of Jesus Christ, that it will be evident in how we live. I am not suggesting here that we are saved by what we do. We are saved by the grace of God through His Son Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. That is the only way to be saved. 
What I am saying is that if we have embraced Jesus Christ into our hearts, and if we have embraced Him, and if we are committed to Him, that that will pour out into our, how, we, how we live our life. Now some people would accuse me now of saying that I'm preaching a lordship salvation doctrine. But here's what I do know for sure. The Bible talks to us about being transformed. The Bible talks to us about being made new. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Paul says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Transformed means much more than changing an outside appearance. It means much more than having, you know, uh, the, how we look on the outside changed. It means being made new on the inside. Having a new heart. Having a new attitude. Having a new approach to the way we live our lives. So clearly I'm not saying that we simply put on an act. We must follow Jesus' example and His teaching. And there needs to be evidence of that in our lifestyle. The Pharisees, they either didn't understand this or they didn't appreciate it. Because they believed that as long as they looked good on the outside, as long as they had their religion properly trimmed, proper, their proper behavior, as long as they obeyed the laws to the letter, as long as they did all these things, who cares what motivated it? As long as it looked good on the outside. Jesus often rebuked these guys. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 to 28, He gives a strong rebuke to these men. Listen to what He says here. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean, excuse me, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but are on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Back to verse 19 of chapter 7. Jesus is speaking here to His disciples. And He's warning them about these false teachers, these false prophets. In verse 19, He has this strong warning. And He says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You don't have to be a farmer, a greenhouse farmer, or any kind of farmer to know that if you plant something and it just doesn't grow, you're going to get rid of it. If you're a gardener and you plant roses or you plant flowers or you plant whatever and, and it's sitting there and it just will not grow, you get rid of it. We paid a number of years ago for this little thorn bush or whatever it was called. We had the, the female version at our house and now we're supposed to get the male one and, the, and I won't say which place, but they told us, oh yeah, you know, you put these two together and you're going to have these beautiful flowers. We must have done something wrong because a year later that thing was just a 
dead stick. No beautiful flowers whatsoever. What do we do? We stopped watering it. We stopped caring for it. And when we finally had time, we took the thing and threw it away. Jesus says in verse 20, again, He makes this statement, Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. I want us to jump now to verse 24 of, the, of chapter 7. And I want to read this to us here this morning. Jesus, you know, He kind of jumps, I'm just going to jump over something that He said in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of Mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had, a found, had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of Mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus has been talking to His disciples about bearing good fruit and, and, you know, and how you can recognize this fruit and how you can recognize um, who the false teachers are. And now He gives His disciples this metaphor to give them a visual of what He's talking about. He wants them to clearly understand what He is saying to them. There was a time in my life where this story or this little passage about you know building on sand really really came into doubt as a matter of fact i got so far as to say that there was a uh, there was a serious problem with the validity of this word that this wasn't true and i'll tell you what happened in my life and some of you may you know immediately say yes i was there as well the cardinal carter school was built and the subdivision around that place was built you might be saying, well, what does that have to do with the truth of this? I remember as a young teenage boy, when they started digging into that place, I remember thinking to myself, these guys are foolish. Because if you remember that place, it was a sand pit. I don't know which sand, eerie sand gravel or one of those places maybe owned it, but it was a sand pit. There was nothing there but dunes of sand. And we couldn't drive our dirt bikes through it. You couldn't drive your car through it. Different people tried and had to get pulled out. This place was nothing but sand. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, they are going to build this and it's going to fall. And the rain came and I was like, I'm back there immediately. I didn't see this. It's going to be all washed out and gone. And to this day, it still all stands. It caused me some trouble because I wasn't so much concerned about the principle of what Jesus was saying. I just figured if you build on sand, it's gone. And, and what we realize now is, obviously, we've learned to build on sand. And today, Jesus would use a different metaphor. And so help us to visualize this differently. Let's use maybe some other way of looking at it. But before we do that, there are two, or there's one small phrase that Jesus uses in both of these places when He's talking to His disciples. He's telling His disciples that those who hear... His Word. And then this little phrase. And then put it into practice. Are like people that are built on solid ground. And then He says, And those who hear His words and do not put it into practice are like people who build on sand. So I have to walk way over here. Maybe this is a better example. I don't know who laid this, but this wall has withstood all kinds of storms. 
We've had some strong ones lately. I'm no masonry person, but I believe that there are steel rods inside here. There is strong mortar. This is built to last. This is solid. And today, Jesus might say to you, if you hear my word and put it into practice, you are like a solid house. You are built on solid foundation. You are built to last. And then he might say, if you hear these words of mine and you do not put it into practice, you're like this tent. Moves pretty easy. Most of us have seen a tent at a campground go for a ride. This thing here, it's not bad, but I sure wouldn't want to be in it in a big storm. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I want to give you a visual. I want you to understand this because we're talking about more than just fruit. And, you know, we're talking about more than just being trees. We're talking about a lifestyle. You see, the fruit you produce is going to impact your lifestyle, which is going to impact what you're grounded on. And if you take the words of Jesus and you put them into practice, you are like a solid house. Storms will come and they do come. And you will withstand it. Because you are rooted, you are grounded on solid ground. If you hear these words of Jesus and do not put them into practice, you are like this tent. With every wind that blows, it changes. Every drop of rain that comes, it will impact. The storms are going to have a major impact on whether or not this thing stands or not. And most likely, if we put this out there in one of these windstorms that we've had lately, you won't even know where to look for that tent. It will have been blown away. Is our faith grounded in Jesus? Let's jump back now in chapter 7 to verse 21. There are certain passages in Scripture that sometimes you read and you wonder how to, how to preach on them. And this is one of those for me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. This is right before now where Jesus talks about the wise and foolish builder. And this is what He says. Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. Many will say to Me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and in Your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus has been warning His disciples here about false prophets. And now He's given them a description of what will happen to these false prophets. In verse 21, He said that only He who does the will of My Father is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus tells us, he's, he's giving us a pretty clear image that on that day, there will be people there who are going to be shocked and surprised that they are not going in. In spite of their Christian confession, the false prophets failed to put into practice the will of God as expounded by Jesus. This is why they are called evildoers. The Greek word here is anomeia, which is the same word used to describe the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. This makes me ask the question, 
How did these prophets miss it so badly? They were driving out demons. They were prophesying. They were doing miracles all in the name of the Lord. How did they miss the truth? Clearly, these people were deceived. These people were deceived in thinking that what they were doing was the will of God. These people were deceived in thinking that what they were doing was producing good fruit. That what they were doing was grounded on solid ground. But they were deceived. How can this happen? There are many ways that we can be deceived today. And I want to look at just three of them. Number one, we are deceived when we base our Christian life on our own standards. When we decide what we should do, when we decide what is right, we might say, well, I've done this or I haven't done that. Man, I used to do all those kind of things and I don't do those things anymore. And and I, I read my Bible now and I do all these things. And we make the standard for how we are to live. We can deceive ourselves that way. Another way that we can deceive ourselves is when we base our Christian life on the standards of the people around us. We might say, well, our friends are doing all this kind of stuff, and I've never touched that. People, man, our whole society is doing this, and we, I have never done that. And, and, you know, I heard that they're doing this and this and this, and I haven't gotten involved in that at all. And so because I'm better than them, and I, I gauge my standards off of what theirs are, I'm doing well. And we deceive ourselves. Another way that we can deceive ourselves is when we base our Christian life on our cultural standards. And I mean no disrespect here to anybody. But I'm not talking here just about our North American culture. I'm also talking about our Mennonite culture. And this is true for many other small cultures within the larger culture as well. When we base our relationship with Jesus Christ on our culture, we could be deceiving ourselves. To illustrate what I mean by this exactly, I want to talk, I want to share a quick story about a young girl that came over to our house once. I met her on Facebook and she sent me a message and at that time, being the youth pastor here, she said, you know, I hear you're the youth pastor and, and you live in my neighborhood. And some of, uh, you know, the kids from your youth, I kind of know them from school and stuff like that. And I was just wondering whether I could come over and talk. So, of course, the first thing you do then is you add them as a friend so that you can spy on them. And that's what I did. So I added this person as a friend and, and I went through all her pictures and I read all the status things and I read all the comments that people made. And, and so I figured I had a pretty good idea of what this kid was all about. And then one day there she was at our door. And so Marie and I, we invited her in. And talking to her, she talked about her hard life. And she had a very difficult life. She talked about some of the things that had happened in her family. And, and somehow along the way, I, I asked her this question. Are you a Christian? And she said, yes. I was a bit, okay, good. Sometimes we're struggling in our faith. And then, so I just I said, how do you know that you're a Christian? she says, well, my mom and dad are Christians. 
And I must have had a look of confusion on my face. And I try not to, but I just, I sat there and I must have given it away. And here's what she said to me, or here's the question she asked me, and I quote, Aren't all Mennonites Christians? This girl truly believed that because she was a Mennonite, she was saved. Now there might be some other people, they might truly believe because they are this or they are that, that they are Christians because those kind of people are Christians. And so one of the things that we can do, or one of the ways that we can deceive ourselves, is that when we begin to base our standards of Christian lifestyle according to a culture, I'll tell you what we need to base our lifestyle on. We must base our relationship with Jesus on the Word of God. This must be the moral standard for our lifestyle. This must be the standard that we apply our lives to. This must be what we ultimately go to and say, am I doing the will of God? Am I living in obedience to the Word of God? And if you do not read this Word, you will not understand whether you are. Jesus said to His disciples, beware of false prophets. In our Bible, in Scripture, there are many verses that tell us what we are to do with our lives. And I just want to read through a number of them. The first one is in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 8, 31, to the Jews who believed Him, Jesus said, If you hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are My disciples, if you love one another. John 15, 8, This is to My Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Can I ask us, and I ask myself as much as I ask you, is this word the expression of our life? Is this word what we base our standards on? What we base our relationship with Jesus on? Is this the word you turn to? Is this the place you go to, to know what to do and how to do it? Or are you making up, or are we making up our own standards? Are we making standards based on other people or based on society around us? I don't know about you, but when a storm comes, I'd much rather be in a building that's like this than in something that's like this. This tent isn't going to hold much up. This tent isn't going to protect you. You guys have probably driven past those places where the tornado hit. Oh yeah, even trees did damage to some of these big houses. But nothing like it would have done to a tent. So we have to conclude today 
by asking all of ourselves this question, are we on solid ground? Are we truly grounded in Jesus Christ? This is a question that we must answer. Because I don't want to put any fear in anybody, but I know for myself, that is something I must resolve in my heart today. For I never want to end up standing before Jesus one day and be shocked and surprised that I wasn't ready. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what are you doing? Don't put it off any longer. And if you have accepted Jesus Christ in your heart and you're living a life just like anyone else, what are you doing? I want to challenge us all to base our relationship with Jesus Christ from His Word. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You so much for Your love. Father, I thank You that in You we have a solid ground. I thank You, Jesus, that You are the cornerstone that cannot be moved. Lord, I want to just pray over this crowd of people here today, this congregation. And pray, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit would go among us and examine us, to search us, and to reveal in each one of us how we are living. Father, I pray that You would give us courage. I pray, Lord, that You would give us boldness to live our relationship with You publicly to other people. And so, Lord, I pray that at the end of this day, we could clearly know whether or not our lives are based on Your standards, on Your Word, or on something else. Father, may we all be trees who bear good fruit to the people around us. In Your name I pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? And we'll sing a closing song. And uh, as we live our lives and they're grounded on God's Word, we won't be shaken.
Christmas. See you next Sunday.